Hey, this is Johnny Burke. I'm here on the Lone Star Plate. I'm here talking about my new album, Behind the Pine Curtain. Thanks to my man, Patrick, for having me on. It's a good one. Hi, guys. Welcome to the Lone Star Plate podcast. This is a special introduction for this episode. Uh, this is going to be part two of our Johnny Burke interview. So if you haven't checked out part one from last week, uh, I may want to check that out before continuing uh, this conversation because we just uh, pick up where we left off. So again, we'll put a link in the description, part one. This is going to be part two, so the finale of this interview. Um, and yeah, hope you enjoy it. Um, one quick thing. Um, the very end, my camera goes out. So it's only Johnny's camera. Again, this interview was not meant to be uh, this long. You know, we just started talking and got along so well. And, and Johnny's story was just so moving and so powerful. And he was just so open and honest. And he's just such a great guy. So, um, you know, we, we just kept it going. So anyway, yeah, so it's just Johnny's camera there at the end. And um, yeah, so anyway, everything else is the same. All the same breaks and everything. So I hope you enjoy it. And uh, again, apologize for this intro right here. I'm recording it on my iPhone, but we needed something at the beginning for a little context. So anyway, let's get to the interview. Second part of Johnny Burke. Enjoy. All right, we're back with Johnny Burke. Again, his album, Behind the Pine Curtain. Don't forget, April 26th. Um, check him out on his website. We'll put a link in the description, obviously, for that as well. Um, check out the single that's out. Uh, it is literally the title track, Behind the Pine Curtain. So we've been talking yeah. about a story so inspiring. Johnny's been so open and honest with us. Um, and yeah, I know y'all are enjoying this so far. So let's just keep going with some of these uh, questions. So look, Johnny, I have more... This will be a little more specific. And again, I, I, if it's not anything you want to talk about, please just say, you know what? Next question, Patrick. Uh, but I was curious if, was there any sort of like intense or scary moment or what was the most intense or scary moment for you while you were incarcerated? Uh, I, I guess those are always just when it's your first moment, say walking into your first long-term incarceration. Uh, just the unknown. Not the unknown. Yeah, uh, precisely. I, um, you know, you mentioned earlier get getting comfortable in where you're actually uh, living for the year, and you know, I never got comfortable per se, but there was a time where you, I get um, where I'm laughing at uh, my, you call him a celly. Even though you're not in one cell, it's a 66-man, unair-conditioned big dorm uh, with bunk beds real close. And my celly was a guy, he had done 18 on a 25. Um, so 18 years on a 25-year sentence for first-degree murder. And oh, he, wow. he was a great guy, and as far as I knew. Uh, now, what he did 18 years ago was reprehensible. But um, he had spent 18 years there, and one of his first things he told me was, uh, well, you know, I was also convicted of armed robbery, but I never robbed anybody. It's, uh, you don't want to be known as a thief in there because thieves might steal from each other in close quarters. But, uh, you know, he said, I took that charge for a homegirl. 
18 years ago, I was locked up in county, about to go on trial for my murder charge. And I just said, yeah, I robbed that person because I'm not going to get any more time for robbing somebody. But that wasn't, I didn't do that. My homegirl did that. So I took that charge for her. Now the murder charge, that was just a bad decision on my part. <laughs> oh man. Yeah. <laughs> and he tells me this as I'm moving in as his, uh, you know, as you're just cut, first time meeting him, he's telling you this. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now, usually I would be, I mean, if I right now maybe met somebody like that, maybe be scared to death of him. But after being in the, that kind of place for that kind of time, I naturally laughed because, hey, it looks, it made me laugh and it looks sure. better on me if I'm a, hey, <laughs> you know, homeboy, what's up? Absolutely. Uh, but yeah, I would think it would, uh, the scariest moments would be going to every new unit because then you got to get a new gang of friends and you don't, um, you know, you want to stay away from the politics of the race gangs. And it's just all this whole horrible thing that we could have a 36 hour show on if, you know, you had a his historian on Texas prison history, but, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes, this is about the the record that I put out. And I, I certainly used quotes from those people like him that I met uh, in some of these songs. Sure. Absolutely. Do, do they do they um, do some of these people know that you put out this album? I'm not sure. There's one. Uh, the guy I was just talking about, the 18 on a 25 guy. Yeah. He got out. Seems to be a pro, uh, okay member of society. Follows me on Instagram. Wow. Look at that, man. We've exchanged messages. Uh, you know, as soon as I get out, I want to forget about that kind of stuff as soon as possible. But then I also have to remember, uh, you know, my celly was the murderer. Nobody fucked with our side of the the dorm having him over there <laughs> uh, absolutely it was like no no i i go over that guy yeah yeah absolutely. he said murdering somebody was just a bad business decision i'm oh my god yeah can you imagine hearing that that is that is why that's a wacky sort of surreal moment i'm sure for you yeah right? just a surreal moment wow um yeah i i'm wow that's um that's interesting you handled it you handled it great it sounds like um yeah, that's got to be a tough struggle to want to maybe distance yourself from that period. But at the same time, you know, you've got people reaching out or talking about you putting out this album, right? It's going to keep these sort of, I don't want to say wounds, re, you know, reopening the wounds, but it's sort of on the forefront of your mind. But again, like we talked about in the beginning, right? The goal now is to tell that story, but also if it helps people, right, that's a great benefit. So you know, that's got to just be a tough struggle. Yeah. I've, I've always thought of it as a cautionary tale being that it can be prevented by, um, people, especially ones that I know that, Hey, you don't need to be drinking and driving and that can have much more disastrous consequences than, you know, even what you have to hear from me, which is not that great. But, um, uh, you it's know, crazy that you got a year for for that. I mean, I've I've heard of people that have four or five of them, and nothing. There are always those stories. Um, a lot of them have been convicted 
many decades ago before stuff was put into place to where um, a third DWI is a felony. But uh, it's a third degree felony, which is two to 10 years in jail. And uh, yeah, wow. I'm still on probation. Uh, I, did, probation I just didn't know that. I, I, I was sentenced so. to 10 years in jail in prison in TDCJ. So I, I would not be out if I had not been uh, probated out uh, until 2028. And there are people that I met in there who got their fourth DWIs that, that got the full um, 10 years. Yeah. Wow. And people that had other charges attached to it. And, uh, hmm. you know, I'm, I'm not here to judge what uh, is, is right or wrong. It's a, you know, people die from people drinking and driving and it's a preventable. For sure. Absolutely. Without a doubt. Uh, without a doubt. So, um, yeah, that's... An, I, but I certainly got yeah. that kind of backslapping uh, sure. from close friends. Hey, you didn't, you didn't deserve that. And, uh, you know, I, I didn't, uh, as we talked about during the break, I didn't come out learning a lesson about, uh, per se, my behavior because I knew it was wrong to to do that uh, years ago. I, um, but I certainly didn't feel like I got a raw deal because. Um... Hope you're enjoying the second part to our interview with Johnny Burke. Please, if you haven't, check out the first part. Put a link in the description, of course. Um, just want to tell you about quickly our social media, okay? Instagram, TikTok, Facebook, and if you're watching this on YouTube, please hit that subscribe button, the notification bell. That would really help out a lot. But basically, look, you can find cool behind-the-scenes stuff, extra photos, pictures, stories, quotes, any additional stuff, plus all the different places in Texas we share their stuff, too, so you can find out about other stuff, all the other, uh, you know, musicians and actors and uh, you know food places that we support also online so anyway check us out and don't forget our sponsor texas real food they got a huge social media so please check that out too texas real food we'll put a link in the description um as always guys thank you so much for watching please let's get back to the interview with johnny burke enough of me blabbering do you think that's the best way to prevent people from drinking and driving to incarcerate them, right? Like, because isn't that the goal? Shouldn't that be our goals as a society? Yeah. Is, is to prevent, right? To, to sort of take someone who's made a mistake and keep them from making it. Or are we in the business of just punishing and forgetting? Right. Uh, yeah, that's, that's a hard one. And I, to be honest, even after that time and all of this kind of thinking, I really don't have an answer. Um, it's complicated. I would say right? it's up to the, legislator and the judges but uh, yeah. sure. we live here in texas i don't know if that's the smartest thing to say. <laughs> um, i um that's funny i know that the reason that i was probated instead of serving that uh 10 years where i would have been up for uh parole at one and a half or two years um on a state charge if you got a federal charge, they you have to serve like at least I can't remember like half of it or something. But uh, yeah, for a state charge, like on a third degree felony, um, I could only serve that short of time if I went through a program, which now almost every long term felon has to go through coming out of long term 
incarceration, which is, it's called safe P. Okay. Which it's kind of like we talked about earlier about the holiday unit. It sounds like a yeah. really nice, it's a nice euphemism. Yeah. Um, so who, who's oh, naming this stuff funny. here in Texas? Right. Yeah. <laughs> it's a abbreviation, I guess, for substance abuse felony punishment facility. And uh, the main thing you got to remember there is the last two words is punishment facility. Uh, that sounds like a torture, right? I mean, that just doesn't, what a horrible name to name. Again, what are we in the business of? In my opinion, we should be in the business of reintegrating people into society. Okay, you made yeah. a mistake. You paid your time. Get back to living. Uh, you know, I have a lot of strong opinions about this stuff, man, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I don't, I believe, um, you know, people who've been convicted should still vote. They should still have a say. I, I just disagree with pulling all this stuff away from people yeah. and just punishing them, but no real sort of trying to help or re again, reintegrate or yeah, I just, I just don't get it. Um, yeah. I just don't get that. That's where it, it became very complex to me because I certainly uh, did uh, share that exact view before I went in and still do. Um, but it became so much more layered where I oh, realized, um, of course. you know, these guys, most of them are coming from long-term facilities where they're friends with the guards. They cook lunch together. The, the, the guards' whole deal is to not upset prisoners so they don't riot because they outnumber the guards so many to one in sure. a, uh, a good point. Texas penitentiary system. Now this program that they reintegrate you with is a punishment facility and it's they employ a third party which is uh, some of these places um, one of them one of the big ones is called uh, MTC it's out of Utah I had to look up these places after I got out um, but a lot of polit national politicians ad uh, lobby and advocate on behalf of these companies saying they're helping people reintegrate uh, whereas, say, uh, in the penitentiaries I was at, we had to organize our own 12-step meetings. There was no anything called a 12-step program in there. It was a punishment. Uh, you work eight hours a day, and for six hours a day, you're sitting in a chair with your hands on your legs, and you're watching the same videos, hearing the same lectures. If you move, everybody is... Uh, punished you know phone calls taken away uh, uh being able to buy from the uh commissary stuff that the only things you have to look forward to there into and you go wow man this is a bigger political kind of thing than you think it is um and there's not an easy explanation when you see you know violent criminals actually in there going hey man i'm gonna get out and i'm gonna be violent again but at the same time going this uh like this this program that i was in the reason i was got to serve less time uh they made the guards be cruel to us i mean there would be these third-party private company people that they come in and banging on the walls at 4 30 in the morning even if you're not waking up to uh work at four the first shift at four thirty, and uh it the whole it was explained to me many times uh because 
they kind of give you a hierarchy of, um, you know, you can move up in a like uh, system of governments, uh, governance in a 66 man dorm. And uh, many of these people that started trusting me that are in this uh, private company uh, that is employed say, hey, man, I feel bad about this too. I'm just told to be here as cruel as possible to you people so that there's less, uh, there's a better recidivism rate of less people returning to jail. They say, we've done these studies. If we can be more cruel to you people, you'll go, we won't commit crimes and go back to jail. Now, on one hand, you go, well, does that work? Because I certainly never want to go back there. But at the same time, people that have half, uh, because at the time I was in there about four years ago, everybody, it used to be you were just paroled. You know, you serve your time. You could have been in one of these places where it's, you made your homeboys over five, 10, 12 years. You get out, you're paroled. Parole is not that big a deal as, as say, like a probationary period is. And, uh, but no, you got to go through six, eight, 12 months, depending on how you react to it, of this private company being cruel to you and examining how you're doing because we want to we want to make sure you don't want to come back here hang out with your homeboys uh and how traumatic that must be for some people because i knew i was getting out within the span of a year and i i certainly built up a uh, hey i'm going to be tough persona to get through the whole thing but i knew when my time was up uh, to think that hey man this is going to go on for years and years and years uh i'm sure that that just being tough doesn't mean that you don't have post-traumatic stress later you know absolutely uh, of course one of my favorite things i do to this day is almost every monday i work with a voice uh deal called soldier songs and Voices. And uh, I just had to give a shout out to all those people here now because um, it's veterans that have gone through trauma and we work through songwriting every week. Uh, My friend Dustin Welsh is the president. There's like 12 chapters in a bunch of different states. Um, How that kind of trauma that our veterans uh, had to go through it's great working on songs with them. Um, I was lucky in the prison process to not have to have a long-term, more than a year deal. But um, people that are there for 10, 12, 15, 20 years, um, how does that affect them to be, you know, they're getting the stick, not the carrot on their way out and uh, feeling more trauma by this company that's making uh, the people employed by the company making much more than our private uh, prison guards and uh, our uh, prison guards in texas uh, yeah yes absolutely no i'm not for privatizing prisons or privatizing these programs or any yeah. of that it's just a financial incentive right and then yeah. we're going to be cruel i'd like to see these studies you're talking about uh, that this company's mentioning because the studies that i've read and seen i used to live in europe uh, actually and um the studies and stuff I've seen are the complete opposite of that. Literally, yeah. the complete opposite of that. Um, 
yeah, it's insane. Um, I actually have, um, so my wife's, my sister-in-law, my wife's Spanish, um, her, she works at a prison in Spain. She's a, uh, she's a prison guard. Okay. Wow. But let me tell you something, the prison guards over there are not the same prison guards here. The way they handle prison guards is much different. So she just wears normal clothes. She's really a social, their prison guards are like slash social workers. Yeah. So they help you. They, whatever. It's like, they're not there with, you know, it does, it's not how they walk around. Like we're here to enforce or this or that. I'm not saying they don't have security there or something like that, but for the most part, their guards are like their weapons, a pen, they can right. a pen and a pad that there is no weapon. That's not how they think their, their goal when you get in prison is to get you out and live a better life. That's yeah. their goal, not to punish you. They never even bring that up. It's never about making you pay for what you did. Now, again, I'm not saying people, right, don't, you know, you don't need to face your consequences or your responsibilities. Uh, but again, the goal should be to get out. And I just remember talking to her about so much of that stuff. Um, it's insane. They, they have a complete, uh, their opinion of the United States justice system is, is not good. Um, just, yeah, just, be, I right, mean, just our approach to it, I think, is what scares them. Yeah. Uh, and again, like I said, my understanding of our, maybe not our justice system per se, but uh, how we, our penal system in the That's United a better, States. that's a better, yeah, you're right. The changed, penal system. Uh, because... I, uh, it's, it's such a multi-layered, multi-faceted thing to me now. I certainly, uh, I met prison guards in there that are exactly like you're talking about, uh, people that work for the state that are, that are, were good hearted people that you would talk to every day and it made your day better that they were on the shift. When That's you awesome. That That's morning. awesome. Or the, if you're working in the laundry or, uh, you know, wherever you ended up that they, that they were on the shift and they have com like any human being, um, compassion and, uh, you know, are thinking not just about themselves, but what you're going through. And then of course you meet the opposite who are happy, makes them happy to be cruel and, um, to persecute other people. And the exact same thing with the other prisoners, you know, cause you had to spend, uh, every day with them and, and i certainly saw people and got released with people who i said man if i saw that motherfucker in my neighborhood i would just shoot him on uh sight because he ain't coming near my home he's a he's uh, a bad dude yeah he's uh that's interesting yeah that's uh, that's interesting. And i understand you know people are coming from certain places that it's, sure you know it's certainly malicious people and then there's also the guards that are that same way that just want to make your uh, life that much harder. Uh, now, that being said, the policies that we're talking about, I think the privatization of prisons certainly makes uh, the cruelty more normalized in a bigger way than just individuals interacting like I'm talking about because there's good people and bad people everywhere. Sure. Absolutely. To a varying degree, um, but yeah, I more of a I, systemic issue with that. With yeah, the privatization. The privatization of prisons, uh, I think, is uh, you're incentivized to get to have prisoners, right? Like yeah. you get literally getting paid for them. So why yeah. would you want an empty prison? 
there's an incentive by the state. And uh, that first place I went, I guess it's out of, outside of Henderson in uh, Northeast Texas. Uh, that was a private prison. There was no state of Texas employed guards. They were, uh, you How know, we sometimes people coming to your door to open it up in the morning looked like Walmart greeters. Um, just like, ah, I can't deal with this. They'll shut the door. Every night, uh, you know, we, there would be what we call gladiator fights in the big public bathroom that has three showers and three shitters. And people are just wailing on each other and making bets with their, you know, whatever they can buy off commissary every, every two weeks. Uh, and it, it was just a nightmare. But once a month, oh there would be auditors from TDCJ. It was the only time TD, the, the Texas Department of Criminal Justice would come around because it was a private prison that TDCJ is paying them big bucks to house this a shit ton more prisoners and uh we would be threatened i mean i i'm not saying that lightly we would be threatened in our groups hey the, like there's a bug infestation don't you know if you're going to be written up or you're going to be uh, when people would raise their hands and you know there's there's certain hey i'm gonna be a rabble rouser hey what's the fucking deal with the flies or whatever and uh we'd, we'd have to find our own uh, homemade methods of like, you know, peanut butter and a fly trap or whatever in the showers so we wouldn't get swarmed with flies. Uh, but yeah, the, the officials, the higher officials in those, in that private prison would say, you privately to these uh, people that spoke up much more than me, you will do a harder sentence than you have right now if you speak up when the TDCJ auditors come around. Oh, that's, that's uh, messed up. I certainly saw people get their sentences. Um, they got sent elsewhere when they started a petition that they were planning to send to the state senates or something, you know? And I, Man. I remember thinking, wow, why would you think of sending something to the Texas state Senate? <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, that's <laughs> fir be... their first mistake. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, you know, these guys go, Hey man, we got to speak up for this. You know, this is wrong. I've been at different places and, uh, I guess, I, but I can understand their passion for it. I, yeah. would, I would, I would probably, that would be me too. I couldn't, yeah. I don't know. I, maybe, I don't know. I guess I hear I'm talking like I'm some fucking tough guy. Like, uh, yeah, I love when guys do that. Like, oh yeah, I'd, I'd jump in front of a bullet. I really have no idea what I would do in those situations, right? Like, well, it was such a great question you asked earlier about the number of different uh, facilities I went to and every single one of them was different. There was no common thread through any of them. That's uh, crazy. What are we doing, right? Like, what, what? imagine if our education system was like that. And in some ways, maybe you could say that, but right, like we're supposed to have this, uh, I feel like the Texas penal system should be working together, right? And have this nice harmonious um, agenda and execution of the way we treat, uh, not, not execution in that sense, execution of, right, uh, the policies and, and things like that that are going on at these prisons. But it's not, it sounds like, everyone's just doing whatever they want at their own place yeah that's it's a very confederated system it's not a uh, federalized unified yeah. system i would say yeah yeah that seems fractured and and 
not uh, progressive or productive. Yeah, I would say um, there's probably good people that I had met in there that if they were in the wrong prison when they got released are going to have a lot less chance of making it on the outside than uh, uh, say, man, maybe a, a bad person who had the right guard for a while and who had the right absolutely and warden. Uh, yep. I believe that makes a difference, man. I really do. Yeah, yeah, yeah I agree. And no, I guess, man, that... you know, you could probably say that for anything, for education, for health care, sure. and we're, I'm getting very broad there, but, um, you know, the, there's the old quote, the, the older I get, the more experience I get, the less I know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah. You, you know, you, you got to say, man, there's there's good people out there and there's you don't want to say good versus evil, but there, there's the not as good people out there. And, um, you know, you, at the end of the day, you just have to go, man, I hope this story resonates with some people and that it, um, it will, I'm sure it has already, right. You're, you're, uh, have you heard from that? That's a good, that's a good, you know, just to pivot here real quick. Um, it's a good sort of point you're bringing up. Have you um, experienced any stories from anybody that has sort of heard your, you know, your story, like that it's affected them? That's yeah, I hear, um, I hear those after I play the set now. That's awesome. Which, like I said, um, and it's probably something in our society or whatever, nobody wants to talk about their brother or their cousin or their aunt or their uh, whoever that was incarcerated for any length of time um you certainly hear the stories at the end of the, oh yeah i got i got drunk and i got locked up in the drunk tank for one night um i went to county one time for parking tickets i didn't pay or, or speeding ticket or something and they threw me in right, for, yeah. for one night uh, yeah and that and that was i'll, I'll be honest it was fucking terrifying just that. So I can't even imagine, to be honest. Um, but yeah, I mean, I've, I've certainly got a response from it from people that I wouldn't think otherwise. Uh, oh, that's awesome. Like I said, there were, um, before I wouldn't even went in, uh, when it was a very hard time for me, They uh, there were people that reached out that said, hey, I don't know anything about this personally, but I've got somebody you can talk to that has you know gone through the experience and uh those things helped out immensely to me so uh, i hope just being able to talk about this and sing these songs uh i know man i'm uh, i'm usually such a lighthearted guy but i don't get to talk about this much <laughs> a lot of these songs uh, the only way i can deal with them is humor and sure. i hope there's people find the humor in this um sure no, I appreciate the humor. I, I, that's how I would handle it too. I'm, I'm all about that. I think humor is a big, um, it's, it's more important in our lives than we think being able to laugh and, um, yeah, I think it helps a lot to be honest. I love to laugh I, and that's how I get over a lot of things. Uh, yeah. yeah. To be honest, uh, traumatic things I do. No, I get that a hundred percent. Look, let's, let's take one last quick break, Johnny. We've kind of gone over a little bit, but I, uh, we'll come back and it'll just be the last quick segment uh last couple questions um and we'll just you know we'll finish out here i don't want to take up too much of your time so yeah robert strong with wingman and kitchens here in austin texas we're on the lone star podcast plate of the week 
We're just gonna show you around our neighborhood. I'm Patrick, host of the Lone Star Plate Podcast, and this is our Plate of the Week teaser, where we highlight a Texas restaurant we feel is worth a trip. And this week, we have a special episode. We chose Wingman Kitchens, which is a commercial kitchen home to countless chefs and food businesses in Austin, Texas. It's located east of downtown in a complex called Springdale General. Make sure and check out the full video when it's released later in the week on YouTube. Owners Max Kunick and Robert Strong are good friends of mine. I've known them almost 10 years now. When we started this series, it was only a matter of time before we visited them. They have successfully run this kitchen for a few years now and have become a go-to for some of Austin's hottest cooks. Robert gives us a behind the scenes look behind the doors and gives us a tour explaining their vision. It was a fun trip with a lot of laughs and as always, I learned some things along the way and you will too. What is a commercial shared kitchen and how do you get into one? What can you use it for? How much does it cost? We also get a close look at a local spot who serves lunch out of the kitchen to the public. Did I forget to mention that? That's what makes this place unique. They allow businesses to serve directly to the public there. No other commercial kitchen in Austin does that, yet alone Texas. It's an edge they hope sets them apart, and it does. And of course, running a kitchen always has its problems, and this particular trip was no exception. Um, you see this little smoke here, what's that? You see that? Oh Man? yeah, oh you're right. Oh my gosh, you're right, smoke is coming out of there. Check out the full episode later in the week to find out what happened. I'm Patrick, and this was our Plate of the Week teaser. Check out our YouTube for other awesome Plate of the Week videos. You know, the, the bio the publicist sends out is only so many words long, and you can only include so many things. And, uh, you know, even each song uh, hey, has three or four verses, and there's... 10 of them on the record. Uh, the reasoning behind this is uh, the reason that I in, chose to do, uh, do instead of, you know, an album where it's three songs about prison, three songs about girls, three songs about uh, law, life or my dog, whatever, um, to do, hey, man, we're doing a whole album of thematically tied to my time in prison is... Because like I said, I don't want to have to do a second one. <laughs> Unless uh, yeah. is. And uh, it's Not for sure. It's great to, to finally have, uh, you know, if I'm talking to somebody about a, a press quote or something, it's going to be very short. And uh, to do this over a, a podcast is um, with somebody who's asking such good questions. It means a lot to me. So, Oh, man, absolutely, brother. Of course. It's my pleasure, man. Uh, you're, you're doing everything. We're selfish. You're self, you know, I'm, I'm selfishly like, you know, learning from all this, like I'm, you know, and I know that it's, it's going to help a lot of people to hear all of this and fascinate a lot of people, um, and make people look into these things, um, to be well, honest. Yeah. So it's going to be one of my favorite things that I uh, get to share about this album is, Hey, if you want to learn about the album, uh, how this was made in the backstory go listen to this like don't uh, not necessarily don't read the bio don't listen but uh hey man go listen to this conversation this is 
you know, you can't replicate this. This is yeah. Th- this is what we want to do. This is what we tried to do, right? This is this is the whole point of this podcast. So no, I appreciate um, everything you're you're saying and, and doing this, and again, your openness. So yeah, let's let's. I'm honestly, this even little bit, we're probably going to keep in because I even like this all this stuff you're saying. Man, I don't even know if I want to cut anything. Even our breaks, it's like everything's been gold, Johnny. Jesus, I like. <laughs> I wish every guest was uh, as amazing as you are, man. So. Um, well, let's, let's just, you know, I got a couple last questions, um, that I think you will appreciate. Um, so yeah, let, let me just ask these. So this is what I would ask. You kind of sort of answered it, but maybe you want to clarify it or put it in a different framework. So I would ask you, and I'm sure you've heard this, but what's the biggest lesson you've learned from your time served? Yeah. Uh, it'd be not going back there. Uh, and that's, you know, I, I don't intend on breaking any laws whatsoever. And I certainly wish I didn't break those laws, but the, the laws that I broke are there for a reason. And, uh, I certainly, uh, you know, I don't want to, when we're talking about this headier, um, you know, more philosophical kind of stuff go that hey man i didn't have time to think about that kind of stuff when i was in there it it certainly was a uh violent tense place to where my first thought was self-preservation um so i get to talk about this stuff years later uh but uh yeah my my first lesson was to never go back there never push yourself in a place or do anything that would make you go back there that's a great lesson, man. Um, you know, it would be cool, just as a side note, if you could somehow go back to that one place where you played and go do another show there, dude, that for those people. I, I bet they were really sad when you left and weren't playing anymore. It's funny. Uh, when I first started talking about putting out this album, I was talking about, uh, I was talking to an old manager of mine. Uh, he managed my, like the first band I had um, I think he started managing us when I was like 19. We'd started when we were like 15. But uh, his his name's Mike Crowley. He I still talk to him all the time. Uh, but his first job was working for Colonel Tom Parker when he was a teenager. He's retired. Oh, wow. He's retired now. <laughs> wow. Uh, but he did booking for Led Zeppelin. You know, road management, Dylan tour. Yeah. And uh, his whole thing, which when he heard the album and we talked about it many, you know, for many, many hours, he hasn't worked for, we haven't worked together in uh, probably 15 years, but we still talk all the time. And uh, he kept telling me, man, you just gotta, you gotta get people involved in the criminal justice side of it. Uh, of His whole thing was wanting to talk to people who uh, had been incarcerated, their families. Um, and for me, it's been uh, not wanting to to publicize that or romanticize that because I have those conversations in private, you know. And uh, so, yeah, it's uh, I forget what was the original question. No, I, I was saying you should go back to that place where you played and and try to do a show. Yeah, there again, yeah. You um, know? We talked about at one point tr- um, trying to reach out to TDCJ to do a concert at the place north of Abilene, Breckenridge, Texas. Yeah. 
and go up there and do the same concert that I was doing every Friday afternoon. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. They, they weren't uh, down for that. Yeah. I mean, they're, I don't know about, uh, anybody else, but I, uh, I, I'm not really keen you're, on wanting to you're, go. You're more, yeah, you're more like, you know what? Not not really uh, trying to go back to that place to do that show. No, I get yeah, it. Yeah, and, and I don't I mean it. that in a, a less compassionate way. I mean, um, I hey, man, I did my shows though, there, and I would, I would feel, um, I feel like going back would be a pu publicity stunt to. Not at all. If they let me do it, I don't see TDCJ letting me do it. So I'm, I mean, you're right. It's Texas, you know, right? Cutting the man short here. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, you know that that was that was real in those times playing for those 65 other people in that I, dorm. I every see what time. you mean. Yeah, and some people, you know, hated it. There were uh, I certainly had to ask people that I knew that were like aspiring rappers to go, "Hey, man." Double D's got the next 20 minutes, you know, because you had to, we all got to keep the peace. It's like nobody wants to hear the same, uh, you know, lots of times the white people would be on, um, play the David Allen Coe songs. And I know all those David Allen Coe songs, but do I want to play all of them? You know, <laughs> hey, Double D, he's got some raps. He's joining in here. You know, we're promoting unity through music. Hell yeah. I would have played some guitar for him. Hey, man. All right, let's go. Right. Like yeah. Uh, well. Um, or if they if they're down for it, I guess I don't know. Yeah, yeah, I uh, I certainly couldn't do that going and posing for somebody in front of uh, sixty six or even more people. If uh, like I said, it probably wouldn't even be allowed through TDCJ. Yeah, there, there was no. a Christian group that was allowed to play for the whole unit one time when I was there, but uh, okay, of course, I don't. That's weird, but yeah. all right, <laughs> okay. Uh, well, are you a uh, are you a religious man? Did did uh, did that help you get through your time at all? Uh, I certainly uh, the when you first get there, the only thing you're allowed is the Bible, and uh, you know I was raised in a, a Presbyterian uh, family. It was not especially religious, uh, which I really feel fortunate about because I don't have the uh, the point of view. To where I say if I was like a strict Baptist to where I have the rebellion against any kind of reading the Bible or uh, say if I was raised atheist or something, I feel like um, my parents certainly uh, I feel great that they're still alive and I was raised on a diet of compassion for other people. Uh, hey, mom and dad, I know you don't know what podcasts are, but uh yeah, I, I certainly uh, read the Bible when I was allowed. Uh, I, I'm a big reader anyway, and uh, I, I would have read it too. Um, I, I mean, I'm actually an atheist, um, but I would have read it. Anyway, I've actually read it lots of times, uh, to be honest yeah. with you. It's a fascinating book, uh, you know. I, uh, but you I know. could understand if you're that could help you get through that time. I've I've heard of that a lot, right? People uh, leaning Anything, on uh, when I was in the bird unit in huntsville when the only thing i was allowed was a bible uh i i don't know uh, i don't really profess to believe anything but i um you know i've always studied the stuff of comparative mythology and literature most notably the teachings of joseph campbell 
got me through a lot. Being able to say, hey, whether this is real or not, you can learn the lessons of it. Yeah, I agree. But, uh, 100%. I, uh, yeah, certainly, you know, got like a quarter way through the Bible before I was ever transferred of going, you know, yeah, this is, this is useful. This is, and uh, I think that's the biggest thing when I read anything is, what, what can I get useful out of it for myself? Yeah, yeah. yeah uh, totally. I've learned that from many teachers that have been helpful and some not so helpful. Hey, is this? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I, I have to remember that of what my time served was is, uh, hey, man, is this going to be of any use to you? Are you just going to be resentful about it the rest of your life? Um, you know, do you want to go out and make it a whole sort of teaching philosophy which like i said i don't personally want to do but there's certain things that i uh you're not trying to preach exactly right? yeah, I'm yeah. To say, hey man this was my experience like i would do say with any other album like you brought up at the beginning of the show where it's i put out the albums before about hey man i went through this breakup and it was it was terrible and uh, here's these songs about girls and there's nothing wrong with that that might be my next absolutely album. i've written lots of songs like that myself uh, there's yeah. there's tons of you know uh, albums that are better than mine that are about those kind of things uh this one was just different i guess as a writer because it was harder for me uh, oh yeah and it, you know this and interview unique. would have been much more hard for me if uh you know thank you for uh being such a, a great host that uh you know at the end of the day i'm i if this wasn't posted publicly anywhere i'm grateful we had this conversation i agree man I'm, this is why i love what i do is, is i get to have these conversations with amazing people and again i selfishly take from it i learn from these things i i listen and i take into account what people are saying to me and their life stories and i try to apply it into my own life and I'm in a lucky position, um, to do that. Right. So no, I, I, I thank you, man, for this, to be honest. Well, let's, uh, agree on thanking each other. Yeah, exactly. Look <laughs> <laughs> at this positiveness we got yeah. going on here in this world, right after that Will Smith slap, bam, uh, everyone, that's all anyone can talk about. So I'm happy, right? We could just not, we didn't even bring it up till my dumb ass decided to bring it up. Oh man. Everybody wants to talk about that. The only thing I got to say is uh, that that would not be viewed positively on in prison. Oh, yeah. okay. oh no. what a bitch, man. <laughs> totally. That's funny. That's great, man. Wow, this is a good way to sort of round this out. Uh, yes. This will be the last um, question I ask you that I think you'll want to end on uh, for everyone listening and watching. Hi, this is a segment we call Reheat, where we look back at a past episode and recommend it again. So for today, this one's a little weird, a little special, but we're going to literally just recommend last week's episode because it's part one of this part two so you may be just watching this not knowing what's going on go back and watch last week's episode and hear part one of this conversation although they do stand alone um i i honestly suggest listening to the whole thing so that's what we're going to do we'll put a link in the description make sure you check out part one of this interview with johnny burke again just a, such a powerful story there's so much more this was like a thread that just like 
you pulled out and it was just just kept going right you just like the the tip of the iceberg um you know our the texas penal system needs a lot of help and this is a discussion that could go further so we probably will explore this topic to be honest with you i think johnny opened the door for some of this so anyway let's get back to the episode with johnny burke hope you're enjoying it as always thank you so much for watching what's your advice for folks who might be in your position years ago when you were ha you know in, in your in that moment um either about to go in right you know that that's going to happen you've got a few months to prepare or even maybe the moment after you got to write whatever you think is appropriate to tell people next. man i would say uh and i don't you know want to go too long on this but uh as i mentioned briefly earlier that was a really scary time for me uh i even uh had planned out where i was gonna run to and that was uh, illogically a weed farm that a friend of a friend of a friend owned in Northern California that I was <laughs> just going to go live off the grid at uh, because there's that seemed much more logical to me than going to prison for however long. I did not know I'd be out in a year at that point. Uh, but, uh, you know, to this day, uh, say, uh, like I said, I still... Um, work a program and, and meet with somebody about my stuff and try to keep open with my friends about what's going on. You know, it's, it's a daily, uh, it doesn't always have to be a struggle, but, uh, you know, it's the thing to tell anybody dealing with a depressive episode is, hey, it's, it's going to get better. Uh, if you're at the lowest point in your life, there's, you know, I've never made any money at gambling, but uh, as, if I was a betting man, I would say, hey, man, it, you know, it's probably going to go up from here, uh, especially if, it, you know, it took myself that time in there to find that strength that I go. Like I was talking about that first 47 days, I was locked up in county. I was like, yeah, oh, man, I'm tough. You know, I've been around uh, <laughs> my friend AR, man. He's like calling ar because it's short for his initials but it's short for ar15 and he's like i think he's killed some people but he's gonna do life and uh you know that's another one of the guys i still i go man i i need to send him another card soon or something because he is locked up for life one of the first guys that, you know big tough my god made me feel yeah man i can take this but you could tell he was going away for life he just wanted to he liked my friendship and went hey man you're gonna be you're gonna be all right you know and go hey man there's there are certain people whether it's right or wrong good or bad uh it's gonna uh, get you through the next situation and at the end of the day there's there's no point in ending it early on your uh, own accord and uh, if you're talking about that time right before i was locked up that was certainly a um a time in my life, uh, I, I've been a, you know, gun enthusiast my whole life. It's it's still why I won't uh, keep guns in the house. I I won't uh, 
and that, that has nothing to do with my personal political beliefs. It's just where uh, where I was at the time got too close to. Uh, you thought you might use it on yourself. Yeah, came very close. And uh, to look back on it now, because man, uh, why would you? Why would you do that? You know, like like I've, right now, got got my dog Otis right here. Man, he's just been. <laughs> Sitting here the whole time listening to me, bitch, going, man. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, that seems so foolish now, but at the time it seemed to make such sense. And uh, there will be a time later where it doesn't make any sense. And uh, so, yeah, keep up. It seems like such a cliche, but you, you'll keep on living and it, it'll be shitty for a while. It's, I'm not there to say it'll be tough. It, or it won't be tough. It's uh, obviously the toughest thing I've ever had to do, but that's all relative because there's certainly much, much tougher things that other people have had to do. Oh, of course, of course. No, man, I think that's great advice. Um, I, I think that's great advice, man. Absolutely. Awesome, dude. Well, listen, have a good rest of the day, brother, and we'll talk soon. Hope you enjoyed this episode with Johnny Burke. Remember, this is part two of our conversation with him. You can check out part one from last week. We'll put a link in the description. Um, what a wonderful episode, right? What a wonderful man, wonderful story, and so proud of him. Johnny, friends for life, brother. Wish you the best, man, moving forward. Got my respect. So. Coming up on next week's episode, we have Chef Scotty Scott. He's got a new cookbook out. It's absolutely phenomenal. We had him come in, cook a dish off the cookbook, and we just mic'd him up and had a bunch of cameras and just captured the whole thing and just talked. We had a great conversation while he cooked. Um, it was awesome. We're going to do more of those, and we really hope you enjoy it. This That's one of those ones. I hope you can watch that episode. But if you just have to listen to it, I think you're going to like it. You're going to hear the sizzles, the cuts of the knife, us discussing a bunch of cool food stuff and just his career and cooking in general. And it's just an awesome episode. He's a fun guy, hilarious. It's awesome. Really enjoyed it. So anyway, without further ado, thank you so much for this episode with Johnny Burke. And thank you so much for supporting us. Um, as always, we'll see you next week. Stay Lone Star. Have a great week, y'all. The Lone Star Play podcast is produced by Texas Real Food. Go to texasrealfood.com and you can search your city for stores, butchers, restaurants, farmers markets, and more. We're using fresh, artisanal, organic sources. It's a fun site that brings all natural options all together. I hope you enjoyed this episode. For more information, visit our website, lonestarplate.show. I'm your host, Patrick Scott Armstrong. Until next time.